0: Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 17, as we continue verse by verse through this marvelous book of 2 Samuel. I am uh, very blessed by our music today. And I thank the Lord for the truths in those songs, and we worship Him with our voices today. Lessons on Lament. Lamentate. Lamentation. Lament. Lament is included in grief, or rather, grief is included in lament. Lament, grief is on the inside, lament is what is shown on the outside. And it is a Bible doctrine. Lament is something that we need. We need to express our grief in those seasons and experiences that come upon us, and we need to grieve and lament during those times. It is a part of life, and the Bible speaks to it. The prophet Jeremiah wrote an entire book on it. Lord willing, In keeping with uh, our theme in 2 Samuel, we'll be dealing with the book of Lamentations on Wednesday night. Jeremiah wrote an entire book to lament the sins of the nation and the judgment that it brought upon them, the nation of Israel and the Babylonian exile. Ezekiel records lament, but it is God's lament over the sin of the nation, His chosen people. We read some personal laments. Abraham lamented when his wife Sarah died. Isaac grieved and lamented his mother's death. We read where Jacob died and Joseph and his brothers and Egyptians went out into the Canaanite desert and lamented. And the Canaanites said, the Egyptians have lost somebody very special. Lament is a part Of the Bible. It's a part of life. We need it. We've got to have it. Um, I uh, preached my mother's funeral back in 1996. She died on Thanksgiving Day at 57 years old. And I um, was asked by the family to preach her funeral. And I did, but I made a mistake. I made an error. I did not lament. I didn't grieve. I cut off grief so I could preach my mother's funeral and be strong for the family, so to speak. And it caught up with me later. It affected me later. Folks, I'm just being real. You know, you need to be real. Amen. I'm speaking real. You need to hear it real. And it just caught up with me later, and I had to deal with it. And I had to grieve and lament my mother's death. God gave us grief. He gave us lament for the difficult and hard issues of life, the loss of loved ones, the loss of of fortune, the loss, any pain, any Hurt, any grand disappointment. God gave us grief and the doctrine of lament to deal with it. It's healthy, it's biblical, it's spiritual. Jesus lamented at Lazarus' tomb. He was brokenhearted in his grief and he lamented, he wept. Jesus wept. He wept over lostness. He had, Jesus had a whole lot of ping-pong balls. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He cried and wept. I would have gathered you unto myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and you would not. He lamented the loss, the lost. And so lament is a part of life, and it's taught in the Bible. And it's taught in Scripture. It's a Bible doctrine. We don't hear about it much because we don't like to talk about lament. We want to have uh, uh, hunky-dory times all the time, but it's a part of life. David had just heard about the loss of Saul and Jonathan, Saul, his enemy, the man who tried to kill him for 15 years. And he... Laments, And it's David who teaches us much about lament. And so we learned some lessons. Let's read the text together. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 17. Now, we're going to read all the way through chapter 2 and a part of verse 1. The most important verse in this text is chapter 2 and verse 1, the part I'm going to read. So hold on with me as we read it. And David lamented with his, this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, the song of the bow is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel... David saying is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Askelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncir- uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew. Neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty." Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than the eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle. O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thy high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished? And it came to pass after this. That is our text Today, David is lamenting the death in battle over Saul and Jonathan. Very obvious in the text. It is a place in deep distress and lamentation where David shows us once again and among the first of many times where his character is manifested in 2 Samuel. We have seen David's character all through his story. He had many occasions in which he could have killed Saul and ended it all and taken the kingdom, but he did not because he would not lift his hand against God's anointed. He left Saul, his enemy, in God's hands. David's character shines through in an impeccable manner here. Lesser men would have said, Good, he's dead. It's time for me to take up my arms and go seize the day and seize the crown. But he did not. He plans two funerals. He goes into lamentation. David knew. David knew what Solomon his son would write one day in the book of Proverbs. Rejoice not when thine enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Solomon would pick up on that wisdom and pen it for us in Proverbs 24 and verse 17. David was not a lesser man. Lament shows us you. Lament shows us your character. Not only your pain and hurt, but your character, who you are in the Lord. And so David doesn't think of himself and the opportunity to seize the throne and become the king that God had said he would be. David, rather, chooses to put the nation first, to put the people of Israel first, To do something that will bring them to the point of admiration not only for himself, but for each other as a nation. To bring them together. And David has lamentation. Now he has two forms of lamentation that we need to talk about today. And um, the first is a patriotic lamentation. David goes into a patriotic lamentation. He's he's not the king accepted as of yet. He is going to, in the next chapter, become king just over Judah, but he shows great leadership, and he shows great patriotism and statesmanship in what he does here in leading the nation, most of them in rebellion against him, into a patriotic time of sorrow and grief and lamentation. You see, when Saul and Jonathan were killed, it was, you got to understand, it was chaos. The Philistines killed him. What were they going to do next? What were the Philistines going to do? Were they going to keep on in their advancement and eventually take over the whole nation? And Israel would become... Philistia? Is that what was going to happen? It was chaotic. It would be very similar to Pearl Harbor. After Pearl Harbor, the next day, the big question was is the West Coast in danger of invasion? It'd be like 9 11. 9 11. Is there another plane? Is there a fourth plane? Is there something going to happen tomorrow? What is on the horizon for us? It's like somewhat we are today. What's up with China? Are we in danger? Are we in trouble? What's next? And the army that was retreating, Saul and Jonathan and Not all of his sons, but many of his sons and the royal family were dead on the battlefield. The enemy was raging, and David calls a funeral. By the way, let let me just give you this little addendum. We don't see the Philistines again for a long time. If I were a Philistine back then, I'd have said, boys, it's time to strike. Israel can be ours. Let's get busy, but we don't see them. We don't see them. Where are the Philistines? I have an answer, and I'm going to give it to you on an upcoming Wednesday night, but not today. Where are the Philistines? David is throwing a funeral. What a time to attack, but they didn't attack. He throws a patriotic lamentation, and he shows us from a political leader patriotism, statesmanship, What a leader needs to do when a nation is in great sorrow and when a nation is under threat, what leadership does. And he does three things. And I want to tell you something, folks. Sometimes you get up and you preach the Bible and you get accused of getting into politics when in reality it's the Bible. You know the Bible speaks to politics. So today we're going to get a little political. Amen? You say, what are you going to be, a Democrat or a a Republican? I'm going to be a Baptist preacher. I'm going to be a King James Bible today. Amen? Is that good enough for you? So let's camp down on it, all right? Patriotic lamentation. Notice three things David does. First of all, he records the lamentation. He records the lamentation. The Bible says that David wrote wrote a song, and he instructed his um, men or whoever did it, his court, wherever he was, to install this song. Maybe he did this after he became king or what have you to record the song in a book called the Book of Jasher. Did y'all read that? Now, this is a book that we we, we don't know where it is. We've never seen it. Nobody's ever seen it. God chose to not preserve it And also, it is not part of the inspired Word of God. There is only one book inspired by the Lord, and that's the Bible. And this book of Jaser was an important book in the history of Israel. You know, we have important books. Did you know that? I have books sitting on my home study on my desk right in front of me. I have a, a copy of the Bill of Rights and a copy of the Constitution of the United States. If you come to my study and look at my library, you're going to see a whole section on history and biography of great Americans. And I read them often. It's our record. It's our book of Jaser. And the book of Jaser was more than likely just a record of the heroic deeds of mighty people in Israel. Um, it is also mentioned in the book of Joshua. Joshua, when he fought a battle and said, God, we need more time, and God made the sun stand still. Remember that? Yes. And that is recorded in the book of Jaser. It's also a copy of the Word of God. Well, the song's here in our Bible so we can read it. If we had a book of Jaser, we might have a, might have a chapter on George Washington. We might have a chapter on Harriet Tubman. We might have a chapter on Lincoln. We might have a chapter on John Wayne. Jim Bowie, uh, Stephen F. Austin. You might have a chapter on great people in history. Might record some of the songs. David had a song put in it, the Song of the Bow. We might have songs in our Book of Jacer. When Johnny comes marching home, over, over there. Remember that one? Over there. There might be his eyes on the spare. That's a good one, might be in there. But the exploits and the great things about the history of a nation, and that nation were in that book. Now, uh, it's it's not part of the Word of God, but you know those books are important. You got to write it down so people can remember and know. Amen. And so he recorded uh, the lamentation because he did not want the nation to forget Saul, and he did not want the nation to forget Jonathan. And the second thing he did was, is he recognized the loss. In verse 20, he starts singing a stanza of that song about Gilboa. That is the mountain, that's the battle, that's the place where Saul and Jonathan were killed. It's Gilboa. And David says, no more dew, let no more dew fall on Gilboa. Let Gilboa, the mountain and the valley and the hills of Gilboa, let no more rain fall on it. No more crops come from it. No more will it be a blessed place in the nation of Israel. It'll be a place of sorrow and grief where people can go and remember this great loss. We put monuments in places. Go to Vicksburg to the battlefield where north and south fought. Go to the Vietnam War Memorial here in, uh, here in Ocean Springs, the state's Vietnam Memorial. We put monuments up to remember these things. And for the most part, they're not always happy places, but they remind the nation of great loss and great sorrow, the 9-11 monuments. In our fire department here in Ocean Springs, there's a beam from one of the twin towers in the lobby of our fire department. And you walk in and it reminds you of the loss of firefighters who gave their lives for others, remembering the loss. Gilboa in the Bible is always and only mentioned in terms of the death of King Saul. There's places like that in our history, places like that in our country. So he Recorded the lamentation, he remembered the loss, but then he did something very strange which is lost to our culture, and we better get it back because we're in violation of a principle of scripture, and that is he remembered the leaders, he remembered the leaders, he had a selective memory for Saul, but not really he he um called the nation to remember Saul as he was when he started out. Now, we all know that Saul started out strong, and the last thing we have before he's killed in battle, he's consulting a witch to determine what he needs to do. But David didn't cancel him. David did not refuse to put a statue of him up at Gilboa. And David did not just harp on that and say, good, he's dead, an evil man is gone from our midst, and I can now be king, he's out of my way. David said, remember Saul when he started out. Remember what was good. He even told the ladies of the nation, he says, ladies, remember, I mean, look at verse 24. Ladies, Weep over Saul. He clothed you in scarlet with other delights who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. He remembered the good things about King Saul. But he was very honest about it, though. He also mentioned in a very tactful way, but a very forthright way, the sadness of Saul's life the bad things about Saul. Look at verse 21. He says, um, talking about Gilboa, he said, for there on Gilboa, the shield of the mighty is vilely, with, with violence cast away the shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. Now, what that is a reference to is is those soldiers would oil their shields regularly to protect them from cracking, the leather from cracking and and then being, uh, being damaged and not being able to shield them from arrows and spears and stabs and whatnot in battle. And if they didn't oil their shields, they would crack and the soldier would be vulnerable. The shield would be no good in battle. And David says... At Gilboa, there is a shield drying out in the hot sun as if it had never been oiled. And he's talking about how Saul finished. It was as if he was an ever-anointed king, like his shield was never anointed. And what David is saying in a tactful way is Saul started out well but did not finish well. And the nation needs to remember it. But he focuses on the good that Saul does. What a lesson that is. If you ever have to preach a funeral and somebody finds some good, amen, didn't your mama used to say, don't speak ill of the dead? Sometimes it's pretty hard. You've heard the old line of a preacher up there preaching a funeral. He's talking about how wonderful the man was and how great he was and a wonderful person and kind. And the mother elbowed the little son next to her and said, go up there and see if that's your daddy he's talking about. (laughs) Amen. That never has happened to me, but uh, I did have one where somebody got up and started to really berate the deceased and that was awful. But I won't tell you, he remembered the good thing. He mentioned the bad thing. He remembered the good thing and did not forget the bad. That's how it needs to be with our national leaders, dear friend. Let me ask you a question Is it wise for a nation to take what is bad and sinful about our past leaders? And refuse to even acknowledge their good that they did, and therefore cancel them out. I think we need to learn a lesson from David, that that's not the wise way to handle our past leaders. Amen. I just hold on saying, I'm not full. I think this cancel culture is a bunch of wickedness in my mind. I know, I know they've sinned. All have sinned. Let me tell you something, folks. If if that is the basis for canceling somebody out because they've sinned, you're going to be canceled. And I'm going to be canceled. We might as well just forget about having funerals all together and cancel them out. You want to put Mike Barnett's name on a tombstone? Don't you know he was a sinner? We don't want to remember him. Well, you will be doomed to repeat it if you don't remember it. And so patriotic lamentation, that's what he did. But also in this, there's personal lamentation. He had, while he had select memories of Saul, he had special memories of Jonathan. The bow, the song of the bow was about Jonathan. Jonathan was skilled with a bow bow. In arrow, No doubt David is remembering that evening when Jonathan said, David, I don't know what my dad Saul wants to do to you. I don't know if he's calmed down or if he's still set on killing you. So I tell you what, I'm going to go to dinner tonight. And if he says, where's David? I long to see David. All is well. I forgive him. I think he's going to be all right. Then I'll send you a signal. I'll shoot the arrow here. But if he wants to still kill you, I'll shoot it way out there, and I'll have a lad run and get it. And he's reminding that night, that evening of the bow, when Jonathan, the expert with a bow and arrow, was in a hard place. Jonathan, to me, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to Jonathan, and I want to ask him, Jonathan, Your daddy was so evil and and, and did such sin in trying to kill David and you had a right heart. You were next in line, Jonathan, to be king. You were next in line, but you looked at David and said, I will not be king. You have been anointed king and God has made you king. I submit to you and surrender to you. But he was caught between his dad and what was right with David. Can you imagine being in that position? He's really heroic, and he handled that. He had the law saying, Honor your... But he had the Word of God promising David the throne. If he sided with David, he was in the wrong because he didn't honor his daddy. If he sided with his daddy, he was in the wrong. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You study Jonathan, and you do what Jonathan did. And he did the best he could with wisdom. And he warned David, and David fled, and Saul pursued him. He put his relationship with his daddy in jeopardy because the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of man. And that's what he had to do. And I'm sure he remembered that. Verse 26, he says of Jonathan, he says, The love of women was surpassed by my love for you and our love for each other. Now, I want to tell you what David has in mind there. David is thinking about Michael, his first wife. Michael was Jonathan's sister, Saul's daughter. And one day, Saul says, whoever goes and kills a hundred Philistines can have my daughter to wife. That was the dowry. And David went and did it. No problem for David. David went and did it. And came back and married Michael. When David had to flee, Saul took Michael and gave him to somebody else. We're going to see upcoming in chapter 2 where David said, I want her back. And he gets her back. He shouldn't have took her back. We'll talk about that later. Now, I want to tell you... If my wife ever leaves, she's in children's church today, but if my wife ever leaves me, I'm going with her. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Man, I'd be dressed like a, I'd look like a circus tent up here dressed on Sunday morning if it wasn't for my wife. But Saul took her and gave her to somebody else to insult, embarrass David and make a, make a, a political statement saying there is absolutely no way David is in line to be king well we're going to see coming up when David, when David says oh yeah oh yeah I'm king bring my wife back to me we'll get to that in a couple of years but he remembers Jonathan and see Michael loved David when they married Michael loved him but Michael seems, if you were to study her personality as revealed in Scripture, she seems to vacillate. She's not real committed at times, and at times she seems very committed. She does put her life on the line uh, for David at one point, and, but just seems, but Jonathan says, Jonathan, unlike your sister, you've been faithful to me. You've been faithful to the one who is the rejected king. And so he lamented, at this funeral, he lamented Saul's shield, but he celebrated Jonathan's submission. And it's incredible. And so this is what lament looks like. Now all that has been the introduction. What do you do in times of lament. What do you do? Well, David conducted basically two funerals. One question I get asked to me often, and I, I, do, I do I do, preach several funerals. I think i preached close to 300 funerals since I've been here as pastor. I um, hadn't counted them in a while. I do keep records, but I hadn't counted them in a while, but a bunch of them. And um, people ask me all the time, Preacher, what kind of funeral... Is the most difficult to do the kind of person that you bury. Well, let me tell you what a saint of God that is there in the, with the Lord, and you know it, and everybody else knows it, even the pagans know it. You celebrate that life, and you preach the gospel to those who that aren't there, or who those who are there to attend the service, and you you talk about the life they live for Christ and you celebrate that life and you celebrate Christ in them, the hope of glory and, and all. When somebody's not saved and, and you know it, you get up and preach the gospel. Funeral's for the living, not for the dead. You get up and preach the gospel and you, you tell them, you know, how to be saved, that they need to be saved. But I, I will tell you, if you die like Saul, That's the toughest kind of funeral to do if somebody dies like Saul. Saul started out good, got jealous and bitter and angry and mean, murdered people, downward slope. God finally said, I'll never hear a word from you again, Saul. And Saul needs to go to battle, his final battle in which he would die, and he wants to hear from God, and God won't speak. And he goes to a witch. Tried to kill David several occasions. Now, was Saul a Christian? Was he saved? That's the question. You read some scholars, and they'll say, Oh, yes, he was And then you read some other scholars and say, absolutely not. He was an apostate. So about 50% of them say yes, and 50% of them say no. That's the hardest kind of funeral to preach when you just don't know, when it could be 50-50. And this is the invitation for some of you here today. Are you 100% sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know Jesus as your savior in 100% fashion? There's no 50-50. Well, I'm 40%. I, I'm 40% convinced. I'm I'm saved. Well, that means you're 60% not convinced. Well, I'm 90% sure I'm saved, preacher. Well, that's 10%. That means you're not. You going to gamble on that? Are you 100% certain that if you died today you'd go to heaven? Cuz let me tell you something, if you're not 100% certain that you're trusting Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ to get you to heaven when you die, and you're not 100% certain you're saved, I can't be 100% certain that you're saved, and you're going to give me a hard time at your funeral. And your family's going to have a hard time. You need to be saved and sure and sure and sure that you're saved. 1 John says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. Aren't you glad we don't have to wait till we die and stand before God to find out we're saved? You can know now. You trust Christ. He changes your life, and you reflect the fruit of the Lord Jesus in your life for the rest of your life. That's how you know you're saved in a nutshell. So, do you know you're saved? The second part of the invitation, well, the first part is, is if you're not 100% certain... We're going to sing a song of appeal in a minute, an invitation song. And what you need to do, I'm asking you to do, if you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, you need to slip out of the aisle, wherever you are, in the balcony, well, I'm a church member, preacher, I don't care, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not 100% certain that you're safe. You walk down this aisle, I'm going to be standing right up front, Jay's going to be up here leading people, people are going to be praying for you. Jay's going to be singing. People are going to be singing to the Lord. God's going to be speaking to others just like He's speaking to you. You come forward and you say, Preacher, I want to be 100% certain that I'm saved. And that when I die, I'll go to heaven. I don't want to be like Saul. I want to be like Jonathan. And we'll help you. We'll show you what the Bible says. Now, maybe you are saved and you do have 100% assurance that you're saved. What do you do with lament? When it comes upon you, what does does the Scripture say for you? Well, real quickly, let me give you three words for the Spirit-filled Christian who's in lamentation and grief. First word is trust. Now, I'm not talking about you trusting the Lord. I'm talking about the Lord trusting you. When you're in lamentation and in grief, dear Christian brother and sister... The Lord who saved and redeemed you is trusting you to be strong in the faith. Grieve and lament and maintain your integrity for him and your hope in him and be a witness for him. He's trusting you. The devil was tempting Job. The Lord was trusting Job. Have you considered my servant Job? It was God's idea, not anybody else's. Job didn't stand up and say, Come get me, Satan. Take your best shot. God said, Satan, take your best shot on Job. You know what the disheartening thing about that is? Here it is. We look at folks, believers who suffer, and I've learned this. Christians who suffer and have lamentation in their life often and over and over again and with intensity. I don't think the question ought to be why are they afflicted? I think one question ought to be is does God trust me to be afflicted like that? Amen or oh me? Is God trusting me? Would God trust me with that? Because he trusts them second word I want to give you is testimony. Testimony. See, and it came to pass after this. What are you going to do after this? After the grief and lamentation. During the grief. What's the reason for it? The reason for it is a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's trusting you with. It passes by you so you can bear testimony. All grief and lamentation passes by you on its way to somebody else, always. Romans 8, 28, certainly. For we know, we don't think, we don't hope, we don't hope so, we don't believe. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. We know there's good in it, so we bear testimony for it. Passes by you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I've been beat up in this prison. I've been afflicted. I've been in great pain, grief, and lamentation. And he told that Corinthian church, it's all for your sake. You're going through it to help somebody else down the road. That's what the Christian life is for. That's what it means to live for Jesus. You help somebody else go through it down the road. I opened up talking about my mother's death. You know what? That made me a better pastor. That made me a better Christian to help minister to people when my mother died at a young age. Now I can help somebody else because I've been there. I can, not only can I sympathize, but I can empathize with them. One of the greatest tools of a pastor in a local church is when he has somebody in front of him who is suffering and grieving and going through a lamentation, whatever it may be, and he can pick up the phone and say, Brother X, I have Brother Y in front of me and he's going through what you went through five years ago. Can I send him your way? And Brother X says, send him on. I didn't go through that just to go through it. I went through it to be a better minister of the Lord Jesus Christ and to bear testimony of his sustaining grace and often even his saving grace. That's what you do with lamentation. You turn it into a testimony. About three weeks ago, I preached a funeral for a 40-year-old young man. I was his childhood pastor up in West Monroe, Louisiana. And he died. He had some struggles and issues in life. And he he died at, very early over in Baton Rouge. His mama called me and said, Can you come and preach the funeral? He loved you. You were his childhood pastor. You helped raise him a little bit. Can you, can you come? And I said, I, I'll get down there. We'll do it. And I was got together with the family to plan the service and I asked a question I always ask is there anybody else who will speak and they said well um, if you want to you can ask as a matter of fact that would be a good idea won't you ask now preachers don't usually like that because sometimes you got to spend 15 minutes solving the problem but I do it family wants to do it and that's fine and a young man approached the podium at the funeral home. And uh, long hair, big old rough looking boy. And uh, he had a Bible, an old wore out Bible in his hand. I said, well, that's a good sign. And he opened it up and he looked at Miss Patience, the mother of, who had lost her son. said, Miss Patience... I grew up in your house. Jamie grew up in my house. We were friends since we were boys. And he said, this is my grandma's Bible. He said, my grandma used to read from this Bible. And he said, I opened it up when Jamie died and looked and I found where she had made some marks on this Bible story. And he read about Jesus turning the water into wine. And he took about 10 minutes and he preached one of the best sermons on Jesus turning the water to wine I ever heard. And he said this He said, Miss Patience, I started drinking the world's wine from these bars and liquor stores as soon as I could get it. And he said, Today I'm professing Jesus Christ as Lord and I'll never drink the world's wine again. I'm going to start drinking Jesus' wine. Amen. Amen. I'm about to come off that pew having a hallelujah fit. <laughs> Amen. Yesterday, Tracy and I were back in West Monroe for an 80th birthday party for a dear friend. Mama Patience calls me. We got there Friday night, and we kind of wanted to have a date night, so we were walking around Walmart. <laughs> Actually, it was the Pecanland Mall, 520. We were in Pecanland Mall needing to go to Walmart. I saw what that stuff cost in the mall. I said, we can get cheaper at Walmart. <laughs> I was walking around that Pecanland Mall, and the phone rang. I said, "Look here. Miss Tracy says, does she know we're in town? I said, I didn't tell anybody we're in town. I answered the phone, and she said, I got to tell you something. She said, today a young boy came to see me, a friend of Jamie's, and he was at the funeral, and he came to tell me that last Sunday he went to church and gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you bear testimony in your lament, and she proved herself trustworthy because she was sad and grieving and emotional And it was heart wrenching and it was rough and it wasn't pretty, but she maintained for the Lord. And those boys saw that in that mama and said, That's what we need. And they gave their lives to the Lord Jesus and were saved because of her testimony that he used to bring them to the Lord. When you're in lamentation, dear friend, you have testimony. And then the third word I want to give you if you are in lamentation is time. Some of the old timers said when they looked at verse 2 and saw it came to pass, they said, life goes on. I try, and i choose my words wisely here, I try not to say that to people because sometimes it's unbelievable with the hurt and the pain that people are enduring at that moment. And you go up to them and say, time heals all wounds, or in time to come you'll get over it. Uh, Well-meaning people say some stupid things. (laughs) And so I don't say life goes on. I'll say something like, you know what, the better days are coming, because that expresses our biblical hope. And sometimes I wonder if I even need to say that. Some, you know, when you don't know how to minister somebody, when you when you're going to a to somebody who's in sorrow or grief and you don't know what to say, you ever been there? I I'm there all the time, folks. All the time. I go to a house, I say, God, I don't know what to say. And you know what God always says? I've given you a whole book. <laughs> Amen. And so. But when you don't think you know what to say, you're more qualified to minister to that person than anybody else. Job's three friends came to minister unto him, and they sat quiet for seven days. It was the best seven days of their life. Then they started talking and good night of living. But God says it here. Let God tell them that that life's going to go on. Better yet, God will show them when life goes on. I talked to a man the other day. He lost his wife a while back, a couple years ago, and he says, you know, all her clothes are still in the closet. What do you think about that? And I said, that's fine. Who said you hadn't moved clothes? Well, some of the families telling me, move on. I said, well, they hadn't lost what you lost. Keep them clothes in there. When God says it comes to pass, let God move it to pass. You just keep them clothes in there. Doesn't make a difference. Sometimes we rush people. But time, here's the thing about time. You ready for this? You're in grief and lamentation. Here it goes Psalm 30 and verse 5. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I won't tell you what. Physically, the sun comes up in the morning. And the next day it comes up, and the next day it comes up, and the next day it comes up. And you have good days and good days, then you have a bad day. Then you have a bad three days. Then you have a bad month. Then you have good days and good days. But I won't tell you, joy comes in the morning. Not when the S U N comes up, but when the S O N comes down. And that's what we look forward to. And God will give you strength, and God will give you peace, and God will give you help. And you be a testimony for the Lord. People tell me, boy, we just need to stay busy. You need to stay busy. You need to stay testifying. Stay testifying and use it for the glory of God. You were bought with a price, as was I when we were saved. Nothing we have belongs to us, not even our grief, not even our lamentation. It belongs to the Lord. He paid for it on the cross. And when we surrender to Him, He's our Lord. He wants to take that and use it for His glory. You're successful when you give glory to the Lord Jesus. Well, I hope this helps you along the way. First part of the invitation, are you 100% certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Second part, God's trusting you. Are you using it for a testimony for Him? And then the day's coming in time when joy will come in the morning. Let's all stand for our song of appeal. And if God has spoken to you and you needed to make a decision for the Lord, I'm right up front. I'm here to help you. Not going to point you out. Not going to embarrass you. Not going to parade you in front of everybody. Matter of fact, we're going to hear your need and we're going to go somewhere where we can talk to you and minister to you. That's what we're going to do. And you come as a spirit leader. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. Just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.